Good afternoon, everybody. Ooh, I'm a little. This, you, you would think I would get this right, but I actually didn't. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. It is Wednesday, December 10th, 2014. This is the promotional malpractice uh, live chat episode, I believe, 1016. Thank you for joining me. I'm looking at some of these emails that you guys are sending me um, for some of the questions today. You can do so at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. You can also uh, tweet me at sbnlukethomas. Um, questions to get into for today or topics, I should say, uh, would be, of course, UFC 181 results and all that that entails. Uh, UFC on Fox 13, which is the Saturday, the Ultimate Fighter finale for the Ultimate Fighter 20 finale, which is on Friday. So two UFC events this weekend. Um, that'll be there as well. So we'll get to all of that, all the things that happened both on Saturday and then this coming weekend. And really anything else you want to talk about, that's on the docket. Uh, please share this wherever you may be. Put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, put it on Reddit, put it on Sherdog.net, put it on MixedMartialArts.com, whatever you got to do. Spread the word. I would greatly appreciate it. You may also uh, um, tweet at me at or uh, use the hashtag chat rappers. Um, I guess with that out of the way... We can go ahead and get this started, can't we? We're live, right? Yes, we are live. Okay. Just making sure. By the way, you're probably wondering what the drink of choice is today. Of course, I would not let you down with my typical buffoonery. It is gross. All right. Let's kick this off, shall we? Number one, first question. A lot of questions today, so I'll try to get through as many as... uh, Jesus! (laughs) I will try to get through as many as I can today. Uh, All right, up first. Understanding restricted free agent contracts. Well, I mean, this is a term we borrow. It's not an actual thing that applies to MMA. But if a fighter went out to test the markets and got a deal from Bellator where they offer the ability to bring sponsors into the cage along with providing them some sponsors, how would the UFC match that deal? They would probably match it in monetary terms, not necessarily in actionable terms, um, given that they already have constriction or, uh, contractual obligations against it. So, for example, if you've got some deal, you know, oh, um, you know, we're going to give you X, but there's a contractual hurdle, for someone to match it, they may find other ways to give you the same value for that uh, to get around it uh, because no one can be forced to like break a contract for you. But what they can do is find ways around it. Um, and your question is, will this help Bellator snag some top fighters from the UFC to Bellator if they end up offering a better deal, especially one the UFC can't match e.g. giving the fighter uh, the ability to walk in the cage with sponsors. Yeah, it's more than just walking in the cage. It's any UFC event. So for Spike TV, if you know, one thing that I re- would really like to see Spike do a better of, uh, that's not Spike, I'm sorry, I should say Bellator do a better job of, is Bellator never really airs their pre-fight press conferences to the extent that they do them. They don't air their media days to the extent that they do them. And they don't really air, at least I think that they might air a little bit of their uh, post-fight press conferences, but they don't make them available like, UFC does on YouTube, which is easily embeddable. A lot of folks can share it. A lot of folks know how to use it. They put everything on their Viacom player. And I understand why. It's a television company, but at the same time, you're just reducing the amount of audience you have. And so it becomes something you don't put a lot of priority into. Uh, I would like to see that changed. But can they take them? Um, Probably some, but it's going to be guys who are unranked and then 
can't use that uh, their their still existing popularity that doesn't match their ranking to make money, maybe, or it can keep guys longer on retention if they can sort of say, hey. You know, if you're Michael Chandler, maybe you've got teammates in UFC and maybe they don't make as much as you do off sponsors. And I'm just making an example. Maybe it's not that way at all, but let's assume that it is for the sake of argument. You could say, you know what, I, I have a family I got to take care of. I, I'll make more money here. And you might just wind up staying. That could be a possibility as well. But again, we have to sort of wait and see what, what things turn out as. Mm. I am thirsty. And that isn't helping. Overall thoughts on Habib Nurmagomedov. Love him. He did an awesome interview with Ariel. You got to check it out. It's on. You can see it on MMA Fighting, and then of course on uh, YouTube. We did put it there as well. If you haven't seen it yet, it's great. Guy's English has really improved. Your overall thoughts on how Habib has promoted himself? He's been claiming number one contender to anyone that will listen. He's done countless interviews while he was injured, so he can keep his name in the media. Him going to the press conference to call it Anthony Pettis was amazing as well. Keeps him in the discussion and generates heat so people can get excited and media would write about him. Would you like to see him fight for the title next? Wouldn't be opposed to it, although coming off of ACL surgery, I just don't know if that's the best idea. But I think he, I wouldn't really worry about giving it to anybody else. I wouldn't worry about if if whoever – who does Henderson fight next? I can't even remember. Um, but um, when, I, I think he can beat anybody besides Anthony Pettis. I don't think he can beat Pettis, although I could be wrong about that. We'll see. But um, – Either way, I think he can beat everybody else. And so to me, it doesn't matter if you have to give him another fight next because he can beat him. So uh, the way in which he's promoted himself has needs no explanation. We're sitting here talking about it. It has been highly effective. He has been constantly hammering people on social media, which, as we know, is a strong tool for spreading the word, particularly among uh, MMA fans. Um, he has been, again, I mean, you should see this interview with Ariel. Like his English has dramatically improved. Um, and what's crazy about it is now that he's speaking English, you can sort of see his personality a lot more. But even from day one, he was putting on shirts, taunting jujitsu guys. And, um, you know, he's, he's incredible. He's incredible. So if they give it to him next, that'd be great. If they didn't, I, I wouldn't really worry too much about it. He's probably just fine. Uh, let's see. Fighters may fire their managers and hire lawyers to go over their contracts during the negotiation process. With a new Reebok deal, it renders managers pretty much useless since one of the main things they were supposed to do was to get fighter sponsors. If they can't do that, what use are they to a fighter besides picking up the phone and taking calls? Do you see a future where no fighter in the UFC has a manager or is assigned to a management company? No, I don't think we're going to get into a bold new future where there are no managers, but we're definitely going to get to a space where there are fewer of them and they make a lot less money. There's no, there's no doubt about it. UFC's never made any secret about the fact that they don't like dealing with managers. Um, and you can see why. Because uh, some cases, they're scumbags. In some cases, they're uh, just a nuisance. In other cases, they're actually really beneficial for their client, which gets in the way of some of the things that UFC wants to do. Gilbert Melendez being a perfect example of that. So um, they, the less they have to deal with them, the better, right, from their, from their vantage point. Um, but I don't think you're ever going to see a case where they don't matter. They'll always matter to champions. I think some guys will have them around maybe on a sort of a, a pro bono basis. Um, if they're friends with them, for example. Um, so th this this brave new world where they don't exist anymore, I just think is fantasy. But that they will be severely impacted um, goes without saying. Hendricks versus Lawler 3 or Lawler versus McDonald 2. I I really don't need to see Lawler McDonald 2. And, and everyone's going to get mad at me for saying that, I suppose. But... 
Um, I'm not saying McDonald's can't win, but I'm just sort of thinking about the fact that you've got these guys who have now fought 10 rounds, all of them pretty close. I mean, there's only a few rounds in each fight you can point to and be like, okay, that's definitely no doubt about it. This guy's round. They were all had moments where somebody did something for the most part. I mean, it wasn't like there was any 10, eight rounds, you know? Um, and really, I sort of feel like these two guys, sometimes when guys fight, they build off one another. They they get this covalence uh, as a function of the way that they fight. And it doesn't mean that they like or hate each other, but there's something about why they, they need each other. Um, I, I always thought that Alvarez and Chandler were that way. Um, to a lesser extent, Brooks and Chandler. In fact, to a much less extent, Brooks and Chandler. Um but, you know, JDS and Velazquez or um, Melendez and Thompson. There's just something about when you put these two guys together, you get something that is frustrating and awesome and hard to not watch and beautiful and rough. And it, they just bring about that in each other. And they fought 10 rounds and they haven't stopped each other either. I, I would much rather see that because I think what you have there is just how they're always going to be. The second fight wasn't like the first fight. It wasn't nearly as exciting. And I think that a big problem with that was a weight cut. Johnny Hendricks, he's not been known for amazing gas tanks, but, man, he really faded. He really faded in that fight, and you and it showed. Just for him to stall like that in the way that he did, um, you know, it was unseemly. It was unseemly for a champion to stall like that. And then not in keeping with the way in which he likes to throw offense. So, in any event... Um, I would much rather see Hendricks versus Lawler three. I know that there might be some business considerations about having McDonald with a title fight in Canada that might override things. It's not the worst fight in the world by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're really sort of asking yourself, what is the real deal here? Is it Lawler uh, barely losing the first time, barely winning the second against a guy who has an incredible resume himself, uh, you know, normally when he's fighting a tremendous fight style to um, or is it a guy that, you know, I, I won't say Lawler handled him, but he, he beat him pretty, pretty soundly by the time the, the bout was over, right? I mean, it wasn't a lot of confusion about who had won that fight. And maybe McDonald changes that in the second, and I'm selling him short, and that's fine. If he comes out and they fight, and I, I was wrong, and I'll say I was wrong. But from this vantage point about what we know now, I would much rather see a third fight between Hendricks and Lawler. Those two together have something special. It's, after 10 rounds, there can be no denial of that. And I really feel like they bring out the best in each other in a way that maybe other guys in the division don't. Well-known fighters, sponsoring, and Bellator. Still lots of questions about this Reebok deal, which I'm sure will happen for the next year, really. There are many fighters who have a very high name value but are barely in the top 10 or not even in the top 10. With the Reebok deal and the rankings affecting the money these fighters get, can we expect more and more fighters with big names and without a chance on spots in the top five leave the UFC and go to Bellator? Well, um, again, remember, if you go over there, they have the right to match, I think, for just about all these UFC contracts. Uh, unless they release you, which they did in the case of like Stefan Bonner or something like that, then you can go and you don't have to – they can't match at that point when they release you from their contract. But a lot of these contracts, because they're so onerous, because fighters will do nothing about it, seemingly, um, they can all be matched. If you're at the end of the term of your contract, the UFC still has the opportunity to match a contract. I think Bellator contracts, I don't know what the new Bellator contracts look like, so I won't say that exactly. But be that as it may, um, 
although they probably have it too. So yes, you go over there and they can match. The question is, do you want to match to? I mean, you want to match to keep a guy like Gilbert Melendez at the time that they did. You didn't know about Anthony Pettis and the way he is now and how good he is and just how unreal a fighter he is. I mean, you probably had some inclinations he was that good, but he still had to prove it. He needed the guys in that top caliber space to beat so he could you could push him as somebody who was really sort of special. Um, it mattered for the UFC to have a guy who was number two, number three in the world, maybe number one in certain rankings. You know, Pettis is unranked because he's champion. Um you know, it matters to have that on your roster. You're the UFC. You have to have guys like that. You can't just let them float around in space. Um, and so it, ma- it made sense. Is that going to be the case with somebody like a Koscheck? Uh, we talked about last week, like Joe Lazan, a guy who can still fight really well. He'll give anybody in the top 15 a, a tough fight. Um, and so has a lot of name value, and people really, really want to see him compete. They, there's a certain amount of joy in watching Joe Lazan compete, right? Um, will those fighters go to Bellator because they might have the ability to compensate themselves more and could really stand out over there? You know, Chuck Congo is a guy who followed that blueprint. Um, his contract ended, and UFC offered another one, but it wasn't what Bellator offered him. And so he decided to go, uh, I believe, with Bellator. Uh, I believe that's correct. I'm trying to, I've interviewed the guy about him. He was not cut, though. He was not cut. Or maybe they didn't cut him and they didn't offer another contract. Here's what I know. He was not cut from the UFC. That part I'm 100% sure about. But in any case, he went over to Bellator. He makes pretty good money over there. He does pretty good ratings for them on Spike TV. And, you know, listen, I don't know what the future holds for Vitaly Minikov, but he couldn't do much. I mean, he was closer fight, but he was never going to be that champion, but he was still able to do really well over there. He, he, could, he could still shine in ways that fans enjoyed. And so um, I'm not saying it's, it's uh, going to be that, but everybody's choice for their career to have a chapter like that towards its end, but it is going to be for some of them, I suspect. So, again, we'll see, though. But remember, it's only 16 shows next year. Now, they said they want to double that. They want to get to a point where they're doing like 24 shows a year. Not quite double, but one monthly show, four big shows. They want to get to the point, I think, where they have 24 shows a calendar year. So they're definitely looking to expand their roster, but it's going to be a building process, and maybe this will help usher in the kind of change that they need to make that happen. Um, but even then, it's... Um, we just have to be really careful about there's there's something alluring about competing in the UFC and the UFC would have to really do damage to that allure monetarily for that to be substantive change. And at this juncture, it's just hard to say whether they've done that or not. Uh, all right. Tell us what you really think of CM Punk. Pretend it's an episode of Luke Thomas hates everything. Well, there's no such thing as Luke Thomas hates everything. Uh, what long-term consequences and benefits do you think the UFC will experience as a result of signing an inexperienced pro wrestler with an O and O record? Um, yeah, all right. I mean, everyone's asking me about this. So when they announced it on Saturday, I just like literally got lightheaded. I can't even. I'm not even going to sit and pretend otherwise. Um, let me just say a couple things up front. First of all, I have nothing against uh, his name is Phil Brooks. I have nothing against Phil Brooks, CM Punk, whatever you want to call him. Seems like a first of all super nice guy, um, well spoken. Um, any number of nice things you can say about him really seems to love MMA in a genuine way. Um, it seems to be a dedicated hobbyist of training that that will have to change here a little bit in the next six to eight months. But you know, for the past few years, you know, he's like many other people who you see at the gym, loves MMA, wants to try a little bit jujitsu, and and obviously he has, he says he has a kempo background. To what extent we don't know, but uh, I would treat him no different than anybody else I train with at the gym. He seems like a cool guy, you know. So listen. America is a harp. The world is. A, it's tough to make money in the world, and if someone's going to pay you a, a a lot of money to do something, 
you know, um, you'd be a fool not to take it. So this is not about CM Punk or Phil Brooks or error. It's not about any of that. Like if he wants to go make money, like why would I say you can't do that? That's crazy. Like go do it. And and especially since he seems like a pretty genuine level headed person. So it's got nothing to do with him personally. Um, but also personally speaking, actually, let me also say this. Uh, I don't think my take is that crazy on it. And I wrote about this yesterday in Signal to Noise. Like it, anybody who tells you that this won't generate visibility or in some ways be a financial windfall for them, they're just wrong. They're just wrong. It will do what they say it will do for the most part, I feel like. like it, it will generate a lot of um, uh, ratings to the extent that there's any programming around him. It will generate views, uh, uh, pay-per-view buys, to the extent that they put him on pay-per-view. It will generate media attention to the extent that he's made available for it. So all these things will work. I'm not, I'm not, I've seen this movie before. Um, again, I can't stand pro wrestling. I, I just think it's really stupid. But, you know, numbers are numbers, man. Like, I, I have, I have, I have, uh, I have seen the pro wrestling crossover work too much for me to discount its value in terms of those things. And I'll just sort of share this with you. I think when I was on MMA Uncensored on Spike in 2012, the highest rated episode that we did was the one Dave Batista was on, who, by the way, also turned out to be quite a nice guy. And I'll note, um, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy. He did a great job in that movie. I was actually really impressed because you had like, um, you had, what was his name? Uh, the donk from Fast and the Furious, uh, the bald one. Um, Vin Diesel, who all he ever said the whole movie was, I am Groot. They gave Dave Bautista like a ton of lines, and he delivered them really well. Now, it was a character he could sort of more easily play, but anyway, neither here nor there. Um, I think King Mo was on that show too, by the way. I think it was King Mo and Dave Bautista, but in any event. So listen, if, if this is what you're expecting me to come up and say, that this is not going to work in that respect, I... I'm not going to tell you that. CM Punk seems to be a fine guy. I suspect that the signing will do uh, big numbers on pay-per-view or however they uh, intend to use him. However, that's not the sum total of the issue. What I think bothers me about this is that is that the enthusiasts and fans, they, 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 they look at this and they say, well, what's wrong with this? Like, there's no, This is nothing but a win. And that's just so not true. It's just so not true. It's a win on the on the terms it's designed to be a win. It's it, this is a means to an end, right? It's a it, you're signing a guy who is woefully unqualified. I mean, we're not even in a discussion of qualification, um, and you're putting him in a, in a circumstance he has no business being in. But because you're doing that, and because he has an existing popularity base from a crossover audience that will buy his uh that will watch him through this endeavor it's got some monetary value that's the only value here there is no other value right now you may say well i'm a fan of cm punk and that's fine that's a value to you and that's okay but there's not we're not doing anything in the mixed martial arts space that is interesting or envelope pushing or groundbreaking, or even in keeping with professional elite standards. This is an aberration on the opposite end of it, which is why it is of note. This idea that like, because it has monetary value and has visibility value, which I'll never deny, but that it has that, all of a sudden it means I'm supposed to think it has some other intrinsic value. It does not. 
if he could not generate the visibility and could not generate the finances and they signed him, people calling me, and they signed him, what would you say? You'd be like, this is absurd. What are we doing? Why is this guy here? That makes no sense. Right, because it makes no sense. You're, you're, you're inevitably going to watch bad MMA. That's, that's the end game here. You're going to be okay with it, probably, because you like him or, hey, just want to say, you know what, it's a not a fight. Let's just see what happens. Okay, I'm not here to take it away from you. I'm not here to challenge you on it. But don't tell me I have to like that because I don't. And you don't have to like that either if you feel the same way as me. It's, it's, it's an absurd thing, right? It's an absurd thing that has uh, uh, other value, but it's totally absurd. Everyone's talking about, like I saw on Twitter today, oh, he might fight Cajal Pendred. Where? What commission is going to regulate that and sanction that? No commission on this country is going to do that. I can say that right now. And they're not going to put him overseas. A guy who literally has less combat experience, and I mean like significantly less than Joe Rogan, and, and you think he's going to fight Cajal Pendred in his first fight? On what planet are you living on? What what you think you think Nick Lembo in New Jersey would be like? Yeah, I'll sign off on that. Oh, you've had fourteen concussions. Sure, sure you sure you've trained on and off for four years. You don't have any belt in jujitsu. You told us you used to train kempo. Yes, of course. Go fight a guy who has competed internationally. <laughs> yes, by all means, compete against this. You know, listen. Relative to the rest of the guys in UFC, not high level, but relative to MMA generally, this is high level pro. Are are you are you are you high? And if a commission sanctions that, then shame be upon them. So let's just let's just stop with this nonsense. Always oh, he going to fight a UFC guy? I want to see the commission sign off on that. That's what I want to see. Because guys, at the end of the day, I don't know what you're watching, and I can't speak for you. And if you like certain things different than me, then God bless you. What I like is just what I like, and I think a lot of people think what I like is dumb too. Fine. It's a free country. You're allowed to think that way. But you're not allowed to look at this and then start chin scratching about the possibilities of his ascension through the ranks. Literally, Joe Rogan has, and I don't even mean to demean, demean Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan was like a decorated Taekwondo champion and a black belt in jiu-jitsu under the Machados and Eddie Bravo. Like, dude, that's a real combat athlete right there. And 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 uh, CM Punk is could not be furthest away from Joe, and Joe's never fought professional MMA one time. Joe's never fought amateur MMA. We're talking about a guy who is leagues behind Joe Rogan. And you got people up here being like, he's going to fight Cajal Pendred. What commission on this earth would sanction such a thing? Please spare me. Anyway, so that's really my main objection. My main objection is not that CM Punk is a bad guy. He's probably a great guy. I bet, I bet he's a blast to hang out with. I bet he's kind of smart, and he's made a fortune for himself. Who could, who could dislike him? My, my argument is not that, um, is, is not that uh, this will be some sort of financial disaster, although, you know, in the end, it could be. I mean, any situation – this one or any other one could go so wrong, I suppose, that uh, bad things can happen. But that's, you know, that's relative to just about any decision they make. Um, and it, it's not that. It's just that at the end of the day, I watch MMA, and I specifically say I watch UFC because I want to see things on UFC that I can't see anywhere else. 
You want to see guys like CM Punk compete? Come down to my gym. I've got guys at my gym with infinitely more experience than that. Guys who are on the mats every single day. Brown belts out there who train in the gi and no gi and are going to a sub-only tournament in Virginia Beach this weekend, or maybe I think it's Richmond, actually. And guys who have eight pro fights, come on down. Go to any gym across the country, and you will see guys who have way more experience than that. And they're not anywhere. And you know why? Because getting good at MMA is incredibly difficult. It is so hard to get good at mixed martial arts. And if, if Brooks winds up being some grappling and MMA savant, I'll take it all back because that means where was this guy the whole time? We should have had him. But for someone with no high school athletics, much less collegiate, at age 36, after 14 concussions, you have to have what I would call some pretty managed expectations about what's possible. And if you're like me and you don't watch pro wrestling and you're not a fan of his character or this guy, not that I hate him by any stretch of imagination, but I'm not a fan, then what is the appeal? What is the appeal? There is no appeal. Them, from people like me, and I am not the majority, but for people like me, the emperor has no clothes on this one. Sorry, guys. It just doesn't. You can go to just about any MMA gym in the country and find guys with more experience in, in one discipline. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, oh, what, what happens if you beat the top 10 guy? Are you crazy? Why are you even fathoming such a, a nonsensical idea? That is, that is bat S is what that is, to even think something like that. So it's, to me, when I watch MMA, and again, this is just me, but your, people ask me, why don't you like it? Why don't you like it? Okay, here's why I don't like it. Because I like guys like Anthony Pettis. I want to go in there, and I want to be wowed. I want to go in there, and I want to, and I want to see barriers broken. I want to go in there and I want to see two guys who have worked to develop skills that other people do not have. I am not interested in a quasi version of celebrity MMA. It does nothing for me. It does nothing for me. And if it does something for you and it does something for a lot of people, apparently, okay, deal, fine. I get it. Not here to take it away from you. Not even in a position to take it away from you, even if I wanted to. But don't lecture me about why I have to like it and why I think it's good. I don't have to like it. I have to accept it, and I accept it. I don't have to like anything. Oh, last note about that. Um, here's one other note I will say in the benefit of it, sort of. I will say this. I will, I will be honest about this part. Um, I think that there's no way to deny that Bellator would have signed him if they had the chance. And I've been saying this over and over again. You can't judge the two organizations by the same standard. One is the highest level of professional sports, and the other is just an organization with a very weak market share trying to grow. They're the ones who are going to be more desperate. They're more forgiving. It's less impactful if things go wrong there. It's always been my argument, and I think it's still true. Um, but what I will say is if UFC – Listen, what I'd like for them to do is have less shows, but they can't because they have contractual obligations, both domestically and abroad, either for live events or additional content or whatever. They, had, they do these shows because they actually have to at this point, which is another problem, but whatever. And so they're left with what we got to do. We have to, make, we have to shake things up. We got to make something interesting. And so they go and sign CM Punk. And again, um, 
you know, you can have your own take about that. I have my own take about that. But here's what I will say. If they're doing things to react to Bellator or any other competitor in the market, that's a good thing. I, I will acknowledge that. That part is a good thing. I, UFC is a great organization. Uh, and I frankly, part of the reason why I don't like CM Punk coming over is because I have sort of a sentimental place for them. And I know people don't believe that because I, and I'm, I'm, I'm hard on them a lot of the time and I am hard on them a lot of the time, but it's because like, it's to me, it is kind of special, man. It really is. Like, I don't want that chief top organization effed with too much. Just me, me personally. Um, but I will say if they're doing things to react to competitors, in the end, maybe not this one I like, or maybe not the next one I like, but in the end, that's a good thing. All right. So it says Massachusetts sanctioned James Tony versus Randy Couture. Uh, right. Well, that was problematic too. And here's the other part. Uh, I didn't get to this part. Um, first of all, James Tony has backgrounds, one of the best boxers ever. I mean, again, that's not the most helpful for combat sports regulation. I admit Massachusetts, that, that could have been sterner. But a couple other things here, too. Like, number one, James Tony fought a two-division two champion. Um, Brock Lesnar fought Frank Mir, a former champion. There was no... And everyone's like... Everyone's saying, um, oh, well, Brock came in with very little experience. It's like, dude, first of all, Brock, 2000 national champion, okay, out of University of Minnesota. Second of all, and I know he's not a great MMA fighter, here's a pop quiz for you. Who did Brock Lesnar beat before getting to the UFC? Minsu Kim. Minsu Kim is not a great MMA fighter. In fact, pretty bad one, like three and seven. But he was an Olympic judoka. A, 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 sorry, you don't get to be an Olympic judoka out of South Korea by accident. You got to have some skills. You have to have a few basic skills. You have to be able to – you're a combat athlete. There's something to that. Now, it's a developmental first fight. Uh, but but th there was something there. He beat an Olympian before he got signed to fight Frank Mir, you know. Um, now, I admit the regulation of James Tony versus Randy Couture is not great, but you at least had a guy with some kind of background there, some kind of you – have, you, have, you have literally nothing here, nothing, nothing. Now, you can't even show him a high school wrestling match, nothing. Um, and that, to me, is sort of – negates this whole conversation about where the whole fight Cajal Penred. It's like how could you even fathom who, – who could possibly allow such a thing? Anyway. And, you know, Kimbo Slice has his own thing, too, going on, I suppose. Kevin Ferguson. But um, at least he had the benefit of going through the ultimate fighter, you know. I care less about his 0-0 record because lots of guys have fought in the UFC 0-0. Not that that's a great thing either. I, I would prefer to see that across the board. But um, but that argument, oh, well, he's 0-0. Okay, that's not the end of the world, though. Like, if there are other things going on, uh, I'd be less problematic. Listen, stop trying to justify it on sporting grounds. That's all I ask. If you want to say that its value is visibility, you are right. If you want to say its value is it's going to be, you know, listen, UFC had a tough year in 2014, and maybe they're trying to turn around their, their fortunes in 2015. Okay, you're right. No argument. Zero argument against you. You are 100% right. But stop trying to, like, make any pretense of this having some sporting relevancy or interest. It doesn't, unless you're a fan of him, and I'm not. Not that I hate him. I think he's a great guy, but I'm not a fan. I don't watch pro wrestling in that way. So you're left with me with what? with a tax I have to pay. All right. Rogan's podcast with Shab. Thoughts on Rogan's brutally honest assessment about Shab and his talents versus the elite of the heavyweight division. I think Joe pulled no punches in his analysis, which was refreshing. 
Yeah, that was kind of complicated, you know. Um, let's see. I would say that a couple of things. Um, let's see, let's see. Um, I would say that there was, there was, okay, let me start here. My initial reaction to it was I thought it was good. You know, I thought that he needed to hear these things. You can only imagine the amount of fighters in combat sports, kickboxing, MMA, or, or boxing, anywhere where strikes are involved, really, where, um, cause you eventually get aged out in jujitsu, by the way, you know, they, they put up a master's division. Um, Let's see. Um, anyway, you can you can think of so many fighters who never got that conversation, and I'm sure it was unbelievably painful to hear that. You know, to have your friend not think you were capable of greatness. You know, um, there's no way that was easy to, to swallow. But I think maybe in 10, 15 years, he might be very glad he had that conversation. That that was Joe putting in the work early in. And the investment, as it were, in Shab to protect him, you know, to protect him. These guys, they need to be protected from themselves. Now, do I necessarily think that Shab has to retire? Uh, I don't necessarily think that. But if I, but I don't know that that was, I mean, maybe that was Joe's point. I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to that for a second time. But one thing I know for sure was that Joe's argument was, here is your problem relative to the rest of the division. And I think they even talked about, like, if, listen, if all your fights were like the Mitch Rion fights, not just because you didn't sustain a lot of damage in that fight, but because you also won and so forth, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. It was that, it was that Brendan was trying to, you know, excel through the divisions. He still wanted to fight the top. He still had this belief that I can go on a title run here. I just need a, I just need a few lucky breaks. And I think Joe was trying to dissuade him of that idea. Um, did anything Joe said sound wrong to you? Not to me. I thought his uh, assessments were pretty accurate. He did get into the game later in life, and he is a big guy, and he is a good athlete. But some of his movements do feel me- mechanical and robotic. Um, he doesn't have the same reaction time and the same kind of built-up skills to, to lord over guys at the elite division. He, he has taken a lot of brutal damage in his career, you know, a lot, a lot. I, I, don't, I don't know that what he said was wrong at all. Now the other issue that people raised, though, was that was this conversation something that could have been could have been and should have been private. Uh, I'll tell you this: if I were Shab, I would have wanted that private. I would have been actually p- pretty outraged if that had been me. However, I would say two things: one, Shab agreed to go on the air ahead of time. Uh, you know, I'm sure Joe kept him abreast of what he thought, maybe not in specifics, but from a general perspective. Um, if Brendan agreed to go go on, then you know, who am I to get in the way? And to that larger point. Everyone's like, oh, if he was a friend, he would do this. If he was a friend, he would do that. Guys, different people have different friendships in different ways. The way you are a friend with somebody um, is not the way I'm a friend with somebody. Everyone's got the contours of friendship are different. Now, there are certain hallmarks and things that are the same. Okay, fine. But everyone's sort of judging, well, a friend would do this. Like there's, like there's this friend playbook, and you can thumb to, oh, yeah, okay, here in the friend playbook on page uh, 64 – it says, um, if your friend is a professional fighter and you're worried about their health, make sure that you do this. Any, any, make sure you just divulge any concerns about it uh, in private and not on your podcast. Yeah, right, right. It says right here, page 64, section eight. You know, right above using birth control or recommending to them if you use birth control. Like, there's no playbook. Everyone's friendship is different, and if that's the way their friendship works, 
I'm, who am I to get in the way of that? Someone says, what if Joe had Mark Hunt on after his loss to McCorkle and six loss in a row? I, I don't know what is so complicated about this. Everyone's like, well, why doesn't Joe dole this uh, advice out to everyone? Okay, two responses to that. One, he kept saying, I'm telling you this because I'm your friend. Joe's not friends with everybody. He's not in a position to give that kind of advice to everybody. It's a one-to-one kind of thing. I'm telling you this because I love you is what he kept saying. I'm telling you this because I care about you. And I'm in a position that I, because of those, that bond that we have, that I can therefore divulge this information to you. Number two, he probably asked it to do it on the podcast so it would have this effect. Everyone's making this out to be like Joe Rogan beat up on Brendan Schaub. No, Joe Rogan told a fighter about understanding their limits. And that has wide applicability. I do not think he was trying to have Brendan Schaub on there to air him out. He was trying to air out that issue so that other people might hear it and it might click for them because he doesn't have the 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 leeway to go to every single fighter. Hey, Mark Hunt, you've taken six KOs in the last 12 fights or whatever. Hey, um, you know, hey, you, hey, you, hey, you. Listen to me. I'm Here's my advice to you. You're not in a position to do that. And that kind of, it's an intimate thing. So it requires a certain kind of bond, a certain kind of context. But if you can put the context public, maybe just maybe you can have an effect on somebody else. And there are a lot of trolls in today's thing. Uh, true or false? In a fight between CM Punk and the Green Ranger, I'm not even answering that. Uh, getting knocked out takes years off your life. I don't know what that means. Fedor Emelianenko is the greatest of all time. False. The only reason CM Punk is in the UFC is because UFC doesn't want Bellator to get him. I think that's a strong reason. Every MMA fan got goosebumps when Robbie Lawler unloaded his rage and fury on John Hend- Johnny Hendricks at the end of the fifth round. I certainly did. The UFC profits more from the Reebok deal than top 15 up to top 10 fighters do. Uh, too early to say. John Jones will poke Daniel Cormier's eye during their fight. <laughs> he might. Who knows? Who knows? Prospects. How far do you think these fighters will go up in their respective weight rankings? Top 10, top 5, number 1 contender champion or not ranked? P.S. I mean skill-wise, not to hype this matchup like, say, Seaver versus McGregor. Wonder Boy Thompson. Um, I bet he. It's a tough division, um, but he has looked really good. I'll say he has potential at top five. Brendan Thatch, too early to say. Juliana Pena, I'd say top five potential. Chad Laprise, top 15. Uh, Henry Cejudo, there's just no way to know. Holly Holm, she might get ranked ahead of her actual ability, so I'll even say top 10. Todd Duffy, top 10. Tony Ferguson, top 10. Kelvin Gastelum, top 5. Chris Holsworth, too early to say. Jordan Meehan, maybe top 15. Someone's got Holly Holm listed twice. And then Alex Caceres. I don't know. Uh, in the upcoming fight between Stipe Miocic and JDS, I would like to see Stipe win, but I somehow don't see it happening. JDS has nuclear bombs for fists and five rounds to land one devastating punch. One can, what can Stipe do to win? Yeah, man, it's a tough road to hoe for him on this fight for the reasons that you mentioned. Number one, it's five rounds. Um, number two, JDS doesn't really gas, right? I mean, he gets tired like everybody else, but he doesn't collapse um, in on himself. And three, he's got great takedown defense. 
great takedown defense. And I know Stipe's got great takedowns. And we're going to see how that matches up. But if Cain Velasquez has problems, I don't see why Stipe Miocic is, doesn't. So listen, I'm definitely picking JDS. There's just too many ways that JDS can win, too many factors in his favor. The wind is at his back on this fight. But I will say the following. Never discount the damage that those Velasquez fights did to him. So, for example, you know, JDS has a great chin. Is there any chance it's been compromised? Is there any chance that all that damage you just can't take out like you used to? I mean, he has been battered by Cain Velasquez. Battered. Does he, does he come back from that f- fully and ready to rock with no issues? I would love it. May even be likely. I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not putting out there as this is what's going to happen, and this is the most likely scenario. What I am saying, though, is don't discount that. If Miocic can stay out of trouble and then work behind a steady jab, which I think he can for the most part, at least in some part anyway, and all that accumulated damage on JDS has some kind of effect, look out, look out. So that to me is the X factor is what, what was taken from JDS in those two Cain Velasquez fights, or three, well, two really, you know what I mean. Uh, what was taken from him and given what's left, can Miocic beat that? If not much in the end was taken because JDS is just an incredibly durable guy, well, then Stevie Miocic doesn't have much of a prayer. But if a lot was and he's been diminished in his ability to, to absorb damage himself, I think this becomes a much more interesting fight. And by the way, even if the fight, like, too many situations where you're like, oh, Dos Santos is going to beat this guy, Stevie Miocic. And, and maybe he will because it's just, you know, it's just not a fair fight. But, you know, guys who move through the rankings, they deserve to fight higher-ranked guys. And champions have a responsibility to defend their belt, even against somebody like in the case of Chris Carriasso versus <clears throat> Demetrius Johnson. These guys deserve their title shots, you know? They do. It's not, it's not fair to deny them that. Which fight is more appealing to you, Habib Pettis or Jones DC? This is not even a question. Not even a question. Guys, and it was kind of funny, and this was brought up later. Guys, do you not understand? Jones DC is the best fight the UFC has put on in years, if not ever. If not ever. You think of all the most important fights they've ever put on, and you think about on paper what it has to offer. Jones DC might be the best one of all time. Now, what it ends up looking like after the fact, I don't know. I mean, I really, that's one of the problems with this fight that I can't wrap my head around different ways it could go. But in terms of what it is, it is the best that mixed martial arts has to offer. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. The, the, uh, potentially the best heavyweight ever, but we don't know. Like, well, uh, extraordinarily good heavyweight, two time member of the Olympic team, right? Moving down a weight class, looking fantastic in that weight class, um, getting a title shot against arguably the best fighter alive. Both are, I know that Jones isn't, but both are basically undefeated, right? I mean, as Dana White correctly said, a a referee took that fight from John Jones, okay? Um, It it doesn't get much, I don't know how it gets much better than this. It, It just doesn't. Now, the only issue is, okay, Cormier is not quite in his physical prime. That degrades it a little bit, you know. Um, maybe Cormier should have a better resume at light heavyweight. Okay, fine. You know, there's nothing perfect about the match. But this is basically as good as it gets. 
And so to me, folks were, folks were asking me, well, how can you say you liked the, the Jones trailer, the Jones DC trailer that they put out during the UFC 181 broadcast? Well, first of all, for no other reason than the fact that it was completely different than the normal stuff that they do of, oh, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you know, and an onomatopoeia on the screen and dudes are getting slammed and it's the same knockouts you've seen a thousand times. Because it wasn't that, it already gets deserved new attention. But beyond that, the, the real deft note to the whole thing, and then I, I can't believe that people haven't picked up on this, the deft note to the whole thing is the UFC knows that that's the best they have to offer on paper. We're pretty damn close to it, right? To the, the resumes, the, the moment in time, what each guy needs for their career to actually be what it's supposed to be. Cormier denied Olympic medals, tragedy, overcoming that, and having to drop a weight class. This is his chance to solidify himself as I'm back. Am I back? I should be back. Are we back? I think we're back. Uh, let's see. My back tweet. I should be back. Hang on. Okay, says now I'm back. All right, good. Deal. Sorry about that. I apologize. Hopefully the audio doesn't get too screwy. Um, I don't know where it left off, so I'll just start here. I think you missed the end of my rant about how great Jones DC is. I apologize for any complications. Guys, it's Google stuff. I don't know what to tell you. Let me just read you a stat that I found that, I found, that was sent to me, I should say, uh, from Michael Carroll who had a hell of a stat here. Let's see, let's see. Okay, here we go. This is from Michael Carroll, who works at Fightmetric. Only nine fighters have won 10 straight in UFC, WEC, Pride, Strikeforce competition. Jones Cormier is the first time to fight. I'll read that one more time. Only nine fighters have won 10-plus straight fights in UFC, WEC, Pride, and Strikeforce competition. Jones Cormier is the first time two of them fight. I mean, it's the best that MMA has to offer. I don't know what else to tell you guys. This is, this is, this is the chance. This is the moment in time. This is the moment in time when two of the very best at the moments that they need, the, they need to beat the other guy for their career to have, uh, it's not no blemishes, but to have the significance and the weight that it needs, right? If you can get that John Jones scalp, it says everything. And if you're John Jones, you can have that Daniel Cormier scalp. It says everything. Uh, in some ways, Jones is slightly more solidified, but but he has this menace out there um, that hangs over him. And if he can't be Daniel Cormier, it would be a, a very problematic for his legacy. Not that it wouldn't be great, but it would be problematic. And so for me, 
asking like Habib versus Pettis. That's a fantastic fight. It is not a pimple on the ass, sorry, of Jones versus DC. It's just not. It's just not. Almost nothing is. You're talking about a, mo- a month in January where you have an incredible array of fights. You got Diaz versus Silva. Diaz versus Silva, not even close. Not even close. Just, just, And that's a great fight, too. Uh, that's a great fight, too. But sorry, guys. It's just not even in the same ballpark. Uh, all right. Uh, should there be a celebrity ultimate fighter? I'm not even answering that. Um, quickly, grip fighting and mixed martial arts. People say you've talked about the importance of grip fighting in the past in BJJ, but I was wondering to what extent high-level gripping. Uh, okay. High-level gripping translates over to mixed martial arts. I would say that it translates very little. Uh, not that it's not important. You know, gable gripping, C gripping, that kind of thing is important around the leg and where it goes and and then wrist control. Those things really matter, but it's just not the same with the gi and in judo and jiu-jitsu. Like where, where you grip, how you grip, all different pistol gripping, cat's paw, all that kind of stuff really, really matters. Uh, more fighters need friends like Rogan, this person says. Fighters don't need any more yes-men around them. People think Rogan came off like a dick, but in my opinion, he's a true friend. Fighters need more friends and managers like Joe to put things in perspective so they don't end up like Keith Jardine. His opinion, not mine. I only share it with you because it was recommended. True or false? Both Overeem and JDS win by KO in the first. I don't know what to make of Overeem anymore. Um... I'll say false. Nate Diaz loses via unanimous decision. True. Reebok deal is worth way more to the UFC than the announced $70 million. Uh, Well, it wasn't announced, but I think the value of the Reebok deal is that when they get additional sponsors, let's say Samsung comes along, and then Samsung advertises through the UFC, I think that's where the money's to be made. Whether Whether fighters get a cut of that, we don't know. Brock Lesnar will have an MMA fight within the next six months. False. Rousey retires undefeated in 2016. If she retires in 2016, probably. Dana White's diminished public presence is because he's ducking the diabolical questions of Luke Thomas. I sincerely doubt that. Punk signing reflection of hard times. Lesnar and, uh, Brock Lesnar and uh, James Tony were seen as freak show signings but had legit backgrounds and were thrown to the wolves. By giving Punk a 1-0 can because he has no real skill, Dana essentially agrees Punk is not legit but a cash cow. Guys, of course he's not legit. How is this even a con? How are we even debating this? How are we even debating? How are we even debating this? Of course he's not legit. That's that's a given. It's not, it's not a matter of like, well, I don't know. No, it's a given. It's a given. It's a, it's, a, it's a given, it's a given, it's a given, it's a given. It's a given. It's a given. It's not up for debate. The problem the UFC might run into from a, you know, uh, from a regulatory challenge is getting someone who has any kind of name or value or notoriety um, and yet a, a level of commensurate experience or, um, you know, whatever is required to get sanctioned. But, you know, I was like, well, what if it says Punk's not legit? He's not. And that's okay. Like he's not supposed to be. He's never trained. I don't. Ex- I don't expect him to be. How can you? How can you expect him to be? It's not an insult to say he's not legit. You, he's never trained, except as a hobbyist, and that's cool and that's great. And I'm sure he's got some skills. He could probably handle himself on the street just fine. But if you've never fully trained in the camp, how how could you be legit? If you've never done this for year after year after year after year, how could you be legit? You're not just born with these abilities.
Khan versus Alexander. Oh, yeah, Devin Alexander is going to fight Amir Khan. Your thoughts on this fight? Who's your pick? Man, I have uh, given up Showtime. I gave up Showtime to buy BN Sport. I have not paid attention at all to this fight. I don't know. I'm going to have to watch it after the fact. I have not kept up with, with Amir Khan recently at all. I'm, I'm, a, I'm sorry to say. I usually am sort of up to date on my boxing, but when it comes to Devin Alexander and Amir Khan, I don't have a good answer for you. Uh, UFC needs Punk to lose. If Punk loses, would it be the wake-up call the UFC needs to realize it's not necessarily the lack of big names that causes bad PPV turnouts of late, but the fact that each card lacks stars due to oversaturation? I don't think it matters if he loses or wins. I think really the question is who he competes against. Um, McGregor's Nazi tweet, we talked about it last week, or maybe two weeks ago. Cejudo on Fight Pass, great question. But a mistake putting Henry Cejudo on Fight Pass. He could be a potential star with a gold for U.S. and Mexican background. Is this punishment for missing weight uh, last time around? I don't think it's punishment. I think the UFC is hedging their bets, and I think that's a wise move. You don't really know what this guy's going to do. You just don't know. Is he going to make weight? He was all indications. I think he did an interview with, uh, with Mike Bond the last time out. Be like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to make weight. I'm going to make weight. And it doesn't make weight. You know, and it looks like he may have beaten Scott Jorgensen anyway, but um, just doesn't make weight. Okay. So you just don't know. Like, is he preparing the right way? Does he have the proper nutrition? What is happening here? What is that? Now, uh, I believe this is a bantamweight fight, if I'm not mistaken. So it should be not as difficult. Um, and he's got the pressure on him. But I think that's the first concern. The UFC is just like, we need to not have a disaster on our hands. I want my main card intact. And I want my prelim card for TV intact, and I don't want to mess with that. I understand that. I am completely in agreement with the UFC on this one. Um, with Fight Pass, if you lose a Fight Pass fight, who, no one's really affected except maybe kind of the consumer. And, you know, not that that's great, but of all things uh, in this particular case, I think consumers will get over it. But the other thing I would say is, you know, listen, we were critical of Fight Pass. Like, oh, someone fights on pa Fight Pass, no one's going to see them. And a lot of the time that's true. You shouldn't let go of that argument. Definitely does not have the same kind of distribution effect um, as network television. It just doesn't. But that being said, what we have seen is that you can make a big splash on Fight Pass. I would tell you that that Conor McGregor show in Dublin, the UFC Dublin show, was a rousing success for us in terms of traffic, and the whole thing was on Fight Pass. You know, and then you look at someone like uh, Paige Van Zant. You know, Paige Van Zant uh, goes out there and has an awesome fight against Kaylin Curran, and made a huge amount of noise for herself. And then you saw they, they featured her on the UFC 181 broadcast, right? Remember they showed her sitting in the stands and she's waving all dolled up, you know? You can do things on Fight Pass. And if an Olympic gold medalist goes out there and just blows the doors off of, um, God, whoever the hell he's fighting. Um, who is he fighting? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I saw it earlier and I forgot. Um, let's see. I got the page pulled up here. He is fighting. Oh, yeah, Dustin Kimura, who is not an easy guy to get past. But if he does, um, you know, if he goes up there and has a great fight with him, I, I, I think they'll just be reassured. But he has some reassuring to do. The UFC is absolutely making the right call, putting him on fight pass. It's not burying him necessarily, and they're protecting themselves in the event that just he can't be trusted to do what he says he's going to do. Okay, is Jones versus DC the biggest fight in UFC history? No. By biggest, I mean in terms of fan interest, no. What the fight means for the sport, uh, that's that's a pretty big one. And what it means for each fighter's legacy. So on the last two, you could put this up there with certainly um, this being one of the biggest fights of all times. But fan interest, I think fan interest is high. 
But I wish fans, it, it, I wish, I really wish, man, I wish fans were around from, you know, there's a lot of new fans out there and that's great, you know. But you had to see, if you didn't feel the Brock Lesnar era, it's just impossible to communicate. You can't imagine how different it was. I remember one time Brock had a fight. I'm trying to remember which one it was. It may have been 100, but it, I don't, it may not have been. It wasn't the Heath Herring fight. Oh, it was the Couture fight. That's what it was. I remember when he had the Couture fight. Um, and, you know, I had half the career I have today. I remember I got so many, and this must have been common for many journalists, I got so many requests for radio interviews. I could have done radio interviews across the country all day long. Today I get one every, every month or something, you know. I, I remember when Lesnar was competing, I was getting emails from producers all the time. To that Couture fight, it was like, you know. Uh, let's see. Uh, another good question, but uh, I, I I hadn't even thought of this until you guys kept bringing it up. You know, um, maybe my mistake, but it's an interesting question. Luke, do you think with the Reebok? Excuse me, Luke. Do you think with Reebok being the new sponsor of uniforms, maybe something will happen to fix the glove situation in the eye pokes? That would be great, but I it never really occurred to me to think of it that way. And the reason why is because it is true that Reebok is doing a, Reebok is solving for a couple of problems. One is they are you know creating a line of athletic apparel that is supposed to be fitting the modern combat athlete. I have to tell you, there's plenty of gear out there that does that now, but they'll probably create a comprehensive system. And no major brand has really done that yet. Um, you can buy Under Armour stuff, but they don't really have a line for mixed martial arts trainers and and fighters and fans. Or you know, hobbyists who train or something like that, you know. But it's not a lack of gear. But you know, okay, they're 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 systematizing under a single major brand. Fine. Um, but they're they're kind of reinventing the wheel a little bit there. I mean, the technology that they're going to borrow from whatever Under Armour creates. Um, I'm not saying they're going to steal their patents, but I mean, there's a, there's an existing base of knowledge out there that's already pretty advanced. The gloves are still playing catch-up on. What you're talking about is an engineering fix. Um, I don't know that Reebok was in the position to do that or is being tasked with doing that. I think that's a very separate issue. Now, you know that Bellator has that glove where it forces the hand to curve over so it's hard to open the fingers, not, not just laterally, but, you know, but up. Um, but I think they're two separate issues. I really, really do. I think one is creating you know, uh, workout apparel, um, you know, some lifestyle apparel, I'm sure, but a lot of workout apparel, but that's borrowing from a lot of existing technology. That's pretty advanced. Like under armor, if you've been to an under armor store, I mean, they've got cot gear and cold gear and rain gear and dry gear and sleeves and no sleeves and all different kinds of ways to wick moisture or retain it or, you know, beat the heat or everything, everything. And it's loose fit and it's hard fit and it's, you know, dry fit, whatever. They've got it all. They've got it all. I think it's really, really advanced. We're not really... There's not a whole lot you can really add to that. I'm sure there's some. I look forward to it. But we're talking about changes at the margin. What you're asking for to fix a massive problem from an engineering standpoint, that is a separate task, I feel like, and a much more involved and difficult one, And which is why the solutions haven't been as obvious, right? Um, let's see a different job question. All right, let's hear it. 
Also on Rogan's podcast, Brendan talked about communicating with the ref, saying don't stop the fight, showing he was still in there and out, not out cold. With just 10 seconds to go, Shab talking to Mario, do you think the fight could have been could have perhaps gone on? What are the rules about indicating to the ref in these types of situations, not just in the Shab fight where he was obviously in trouble, but overall? So uh, as Shab said, Shab said that Yamataki told him, listen, as long as you communicate to me or you actually make the defensive movements required, um, you know, I'll let the fight continue. But, you know, I think just pleading with the ref when you're trapped, that's a little bit desperate. So I'll say the following. Had they let it continue, I don't think I would have cared that much. I probably would have been all right with it. I didn't think that he was necessarily in any imminent danger. But he could not escape the hit pressure of uh, Travis Brown at all. I mean, he could get back to his base for a little bit, and then he could flatten that again and take a bunch more punishment. That was a bridge to nowhere, you know? And so to me, even if you can plead with the ref because Brown hasn't quite finished you off yet, um, that is not a fairly strong argument. I won't dismiss it. I won't say, oh, it doesn't matter at all. No, I mean, the ability to communicate and say, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, give me a second, I've got this. Um, that should buy you maybe a second or two, something like that. But it doesn't, well, I'll let this fight go because you said everything's okay. Mm, doesn't work that way. Um, let's see. Well, CM Punk signed A so that Bellator couldn't get him, probably. Uh, if they had Tito, Rampage, and Punk, Bellator could have put on six pay-per-views a year. They're not putting on six pay-per-views a year. Great question. What the hell happened to Johnny Hendricks's punching power? In previous bouts, Johnny knocked Fitch and Campman out cold. In the GSP fight, he rocked George despite only going 70% in terms of the punching power in order to pace himself and not be put off balance and subsequently open to a double leg attempts. In the first Lawler fight, he rocked Robbie numerous times despite having a torn bicep and an injured knee. Tinfoil hat time. Is it possible that Hendricks was on PEDs as GSP was heavily hinting in the end up to their fight and the new random drug testing policy has put an end to Johnny's natural freak punching power? No. Um, there are problems with what he did in that fight, but they have nothing to do, as far as I can tell, with PEDs. I would say a couple of things. One, even in that first fight, he never really finished Robbie off. He didn't go, he didn't go ham on him when he probably could have or should have because he didn't want to. He feared that if he didn't knock him out, he would unleash a beast, the kind you saw at the end of that fifth round. I fear that's a, that's a, that's an important, that's an important thing that he noted. I, I, I have no problem with that. I think in addition though, the weight cut probably, I think that I, I don't, no one is talking about the fact that he had a murderous weight cut either because he was too heavy to begin with or because Dolce didn't manage it right or some combination of the two or maybe none of that. I don't know, but that weight cut murdered him. It murdered him. You know, you just, I just, I've seen, I've seen him fade a little bit for sure in the Condit fight, um, even in the Koscheck fight to an extent, but I've also seen him gut it out. He had no energy to even gut it out. He was stalling and putting his head super down low so no one could touch him. And that is just so uncharacteristic of him, I feel like. Um, so partly I think he's pulled the reins back a little bit. Partly I think he was drained and you could say, well, after 10 rounds, has this strategy really worked? Maybe it's time to open up the floodgates. Maybe maybe there's room for that. But um, I don't think it went anywhere. But I just don't think he uses it like he he wants to. I think there, it, requires certain, it requires certain things out of him from an energy standpoint and from a, from a positioning standpoint that I don't think he wants to concede 
in, in competing against Robbie Lawler. And who could blame him? Uh, Chael Sonnen versus Tim Kennedy. Recently in his podcast, Sonnen called out Kennedy on his complaints about the Romero situation, saying when the fight's over, just walk away, give the guys 15 minutes, and kept elaborating on the subject. Kennedy responded by saying, among other things, that if Chael was trying to promote a match at Metamorphosis, he would beat him. Knowing Chael and the fact that Kennedy is unsure about an MMA comeback, could this be possible? Do you think it's an interesting matchup? Kennedy would wipe the floor with him. But I would be interested in seeing it, for sure. Uh, let's see. Edmund Tarverdian. Uh, Luke, what is the word on the street with this guy? How is he viewed in the MMA world? I would tell you that I think fans, and I, I, it was kind of funny because I posted something about, about him that he did, I don't know, maybe it's maybe six months ago, something like that. I don't know, maybe, maybe around one of the most recent R- Rousey fights. or I don't know. He had said something. I found it fairly non-controversial, but I remember a bunch of my friends were like, what a dick this guy is, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really? I, it didn't even occur to me. Uh, I've talked to him a number of times in person, could not be friendlier. Um, you know, listen, there are some guys that just don't suffer fools gladly. And I rub some people the wrong way. I don't think that he's necessarily a bad guy. Seems to be a good trainer. He's probably limited in his training. You know, he doesn't know a whole lot about the ground. But um, I do think he can, he can, he can, um, he's a lot to offer to a lot of uh, high-level fighters. So, listen, is he the easiest guy to get along with? I don't know. I don't have that much interaction with him. I can just tell you from a, on a personal level, whatever interaction I've had with him has been perfectly pleasant. John Fitch versus Ben Askren. Fitch on a Monday show, there's a possibility he could be able to get, go to 1FC and compete against Askren. What do you think the chances of this happening are? Who gets the W? I would love to see that fight, especially in 1FC rules, man. You know, kneeing on the head of a grounded opponent. You know, you can say whatever you want. Oh, Askren will just lay on him. Oh, Fitch will just lay on him. Yeah, but it gets a little different if you can pass, right? Because then you can just open up on him. So, or, or if someone shoots and they get stuffed, you can unload on him. So to me... Um, he, this is like the whole thing. It's like, uh, you know, people are, I don't even want to bring it up. I'll just say this. You get two guys who may have, quote, unquote, boring, you know, strategy. I would like it, but I understand many people would not. But you have a rule set that just doesn't, it, it opens it up. And and to me, if you want to have the, those guys fight, I'd actually rather they fight in 1FC rules. To me, it's almost more legitimate that they fight in one FC rules than if they fought under the unified rules. I like the fact that if you get if you try to stall on someone after, you know, missing a takedown, you're gonna catch one for it. Or you're gonna catch two or three or four for it. I kinda like that idea. If you don't get the takedown, get out. Otherwise you got something coming up right right through the middle. That I really I, that to me makes it very intriguing. The question's long as hell. I'll answer the first part. Luke, with all the uncertainty regarding the Reebok sponsorship deal among fighters and recent comments by uh, Brendan Schaub stating that he's made more money off the sponsors than from fighting and Uriah Faber's recent comments regarding all the money he's losing for not being able to use his own sponsors in the cage, if the fighters within a year are now not making money off this deal that the UFC put in place, could you see the fighters eventually getting pissed off and possibly unionizing? No. But if it really gets bad, Right, if a lot of guys are not making the money they thought they were, or if guys who 
are still making good money, but not being able to maximize their value. Remember, we've talked about that previously. It's not a matter of, are you making, hey, $30,000? Hey, that sounds great. But what if I'm worth $300,000? You would want to be paid $300,000. I think everyone feels that way. If I told you, hey, I'm going to pay you $30,000 a year, you said, oh, that's great. I live in the woods. All I got to do is buy food. And I said, well, what if I told you a year later, yeah, you were actually owed $270,000 more. You might be a little bit upset about that. Um, That's an exaggerated example, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, In any event, I don't see them unionizing, but that to me, if, 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 if your scenario is at all, uh, happens. That is to me is a kind of scenario where someone would go knocking on Bellator's door at that point, right? I mean, you don't want to like, I don't think they're losing money by competing by any stretch of the imagination, at least some guys like Uriah Faber, right? But if you're not getting your money's worth, and he's 35, you know, if you're not getting your money's worth, then what are you doing, right? Some guys are going to fit into that demographic. Um, we'll see. But I think a lot of these fighters, they just have this image issue. Of what if I don't fight in the UFC? I lose out on lose on this. And and it's a real thing for them. You may find it to be something you agree with. You may find it to be crazy. Hey, who cares where you fight? Just go make your money and get out. Depends on your perspective, obviously. But I can tell you that until more guys make the leap out, you know, there's got to there's be some guys who break that bubble. Until that really happens. And I'm not talking disgruntled guys on the, on the tail end of their career like a rampage. I mean, someone who's still kind of like a viable guy, you know, highly ranked. The other part, though, is that, you know, UFC might be anticipating this. Remember, they have matching rights. They may they may force Bellator to, like, overpay for these guys just so they can say, okay, you can overpay for him, you know. Um, we're not going to match. And so you have, you, you know, Bellator with these like, really heavy, onerous contracts. Does Leona Machida need to beat C.B. Dalloway convincingly to stay relevant today? I don't see how he can stay relevant without beating C.B. Dalloway, but I don't, I don't see that as a particularly onerous issue. How would you, how would, did you score the first round of Pettis-Melendez fight? Uh, I scored it first round for... Um, for Melendez. I'm not sure why that's such a controversial idea. Uh, Let's see. Off topic, but with MMA unions far off, is it practical to create an MMA journalist org to do rankings and offset UFC power? Um, maybe. I doubt it, though. Do you think stylistically Dos Anjos poses more problems to Pettis than Habib and the loss was a bad matchup? Um, it is true that Dos Anjos is more well-rounded. But I think Habib is actually a better wrestler than uh, and and more attacking in that way. So while Habib is slightly more of a specialist than Dos Anjos is, and in some ways is much more liable in the stand-up department, the fact that he is better in terms of MMA context of um, you know closing distance and staying on top of someone, to me is a bigger problem for Pettis to solve than the well-roundedness. Although you know he has obviously great specialty jiu-jitsu as well, but I mean he relative to Habib the more well-roundedness of Dos Anjos is actually kind of a liability there. 
I'd rather have somebody who's really good at something he's not really good at and then good enough to survive in something else because you're not going to find anybody who can strike like him. Do you think Rory McDonald can end up being the guy at welterweight and defend the belt for quite some time? I do not, but I could very well. I've been wrong a million times. What did you think about the Anthony Pettis walkout tee by Reebok? Very plain, generic, and boring, I thought. Um, I didn't think much of it, but it's the one the one you're talking about is the one um, posted at the top of the um, posted at the top of the uh, post on MMA fighting. It's the one at the very top here. So take a look at it. Doesn't seem to be anything special to me, but I wouldn't call it bad. Uh, did the UFC smash the ball out of the park with the Jones versus DC promo? Yes, they certainly did. Um, let's see. Luke, I didn't feel the same intensity on the last episode of Luke Thomas's Pissed. Y'all know Luke Thomas's Pissed is just a title, right? Not a mission statement. Uh, Vanderlei is helping hand. What do you think about Vanderlei offering to help promoting sponsors for fighters to struggle when the new deal comes into play? Steve being sincere. He might be being sincere, but does anyone think he has any kind of capacity to match what they're taking away? Come on, be serious. Um, I love that belt more than food. That's a quote. I couldn't believe I heard Johnny Hendricks allude to the fact that food was his main downfall in this fight. Here we are at the pinnacle of the sport, a UFC welterweight championship fight, and the champion makes a claim he will do better next time because he loves food more than the belt. Well, you know he was starving himself to get down, right? That's probably the reason we had a difficult cut. It's because getting from 215 pounds down to 170, not so easy, guys. That's a monster cut he's making, which isn't to say that his diet is perfect and that he couldn't obviously benefit from the you know um, help of a trained nutritionist but it is to say that you know let's have a little sympathy for a guy who's being asked to cut or not even asked but is choosing to i should say cut an unbelievable amount of weight he's a big dude and fighting at welterweight it's a that's a tough task man it's a really tough task Uh, a violent storm rumbling in the distance. Did you hear the high praise Rashad had for Anthony Johnson on Chael's You're Welcome podcast? No. He said folks haven't seen the true potential and higher level that Rumble is capable of and will soon show. I already think Rumble's movement and striking is awkward and will be difficult for Gus to deal with. Do you think that Rumble is being overlooked at all in this fight? I do a little bit. I think folks are realizing it's going to be a good fight and that Johnson will um, you know, display a a respectable amount of grit and talent, but that ultimately somehow Gus will win or just take over. I think the idea that Gus is winning, not that he may struggle at times, but that Gus winning is a foregone conclusion. And frankly, I, I, I believe that, but maybe that's wrong. You know, I do feel like Johnson has looked pretty tremendous so far, but um, as good as Phil Davis is, he's a bit one note and Noguera is, you know, at the very end of his career. These are not, dismissible victories these are not victories you can scoff at these are not the kind of victories that leave no doubt <clears throat> there's still some doubt and if you beat Gustafson, well then then you know at that point there's no there's you're fine uh which fighter fits into each category hardest hitter gotta be junior dos santos right flashiest 
Anthony Pettis, most aggressive. Um, like prime cyborg, the dude was pretty aggressive. Uh, but I guess today, um, most aggressive, maybe never got made off in some ways. Most weapons. Who has the most weapons? That's a um, maybe Pettis too, man. Highest fight IQ, uh, probably John Jones. Best self promoter, got to be Conor McGregor. Most weapons. Someone says Mighty Mouse. Yeah, that's probably pretty. That's probably pretty true. Let's see. Which would be worse for MMA as a sport? A, the premier organization being embarrassed by the performance of CM Punk, or B, a 36-year-old rookie with no history of competitive competition actually beating legit fighters, and he puts a note on it, which he should. Purely hypothetical, as I know B isn't a real potential outcome. Um, again, I don't think it's CM Punk losing or winning, but just the way he looks. You know, having that... I don't think he's going to headline shows. They're going to, you know, they're going to have a headline with a championship fight. You know, they're going to put him around a lot of other legitimacy. Like I know they're going to stack those cards, you know, because they're going to put around a lot of other like really high level dudes to show you what the product's really about, you know, which is fine. Okay. It's good for me in in a, in a way. Um, but, uh, I don't think it's winning or losing necessarily because, you know, Brock lost, but it's the way he looked, you know, um, so for me, it's not that. It's just that if he looks so bad, um, you know, if, if, he, if he goes in there and just looks, I mean, you can just really tell the difference. Uh, if he goes in there injured and still tries to do it, it just comes off, you know, ham-fisted, that could be problematic. But if he just loses, I don't, you know, I don't think that's the end of the world. In fact, if he loses in a, in a you know, in a, in a way that fans would view as heroic, you know, going out on his shield, slugging it out, fans would probably love that, to be perfectly honest. Sergio Pettis and Reebok. Do you think Sergio was paid more or less for his Reebok sponsorship on Saturday than he will be next year and when the deal is in place? I have no clue. I don't have details of people's contracts like that. Pick the winner at catchweights. Okay, it's interesting. Ben Henderson versus Rick Story. Training partners, too. Um, I'll say Rick. Michael Bisping, Ryan Bader. I'll say Bader. Machida versus Rory. Machida. Rockhold versus Gustafson. See, those are two guys that are not too dissimilar in size. Um, that's a tough one. God, that's a good question. I don't know. McGregor versus Cerrone. Probably go Cerrone. Rockhold versus Gustafson is a tough one, man. Who's a better MMA wrestler? Ben Askren or Nurmagomedov? They're very, very different styles. And in MMA, we just don't know because Askren's kind of untested in that way. But in terms of what they've proven, and partly because he's had a chance to prove it, I would say Nurmagomedov, just with the only caveat being we don't know because Ben hasn't had a chance to prove it against anybody really, really good. Whereas Nurmagomedov, just, you know, Dos Anjos had nothing for him. Melvin Madhoff versus Alexander Slomenko. On February 13th, these two will collide. What do you like about this matchup? Well, they're giving somebody uh, Manhoff, despite being where Manhoof, despite being where he is in his career, still getting fights and against interesting name guys for the most part. I mean, you know, it's Bellator names, but names. Um, Shemenko has looked really bad and needs a lot of building back up to become something again. Manhoff is a guy who is 
going to help him do that. Um, it is utterly meaningless for the most part, but hey, you know, it's, it's all right. And again, someone's like, why don't you give that attitude to the UFC? Well, because to me, the UFC is special. Because to me, the UFC should be something that is like, everyone's like, oh, why do you want to sanctify something that came from, came from, you know, tough man contests? It's like, dude, we pivoted away from that for a long time. And y'all, y'all think I'm alone too, man. I know y'all think that. I know some of you who think that like, I got some old fuddy duddy that, you know, has this unrealistic view of what it is and that you'll, the hot take is that, well, it never really had any credibility to begin with. Bull S, man. Bull S. You can say what you want about them skirting the lines and signing up James Tony, everything else like that. You mean to tell me the UFC hasn't invested millions of dollars, both in improving their product and improving their image and trying to and trying to legitimately earn credibility? You really are you really gonna tell me that? Oh, never had any credibility to begin with. Bull S. Not true. And I think that's actually really unfair to the UFC. It's just not true. Have they traded it in at times? Yeah, of course. You know, this is one such situation. But when folks go, oh, well, you know, MMA never had any credibility to begin with. That's just, a, to me, that is an incredibly unfair thing to say. Incredibly unfair. You know, you can say what you want about the UFC trying to have their cake and eat it too. And there's a, there's a great argument to make there. But what you cannot say is that they have not put in hour upon hour, million upon million, effort upon effort. To, to buoy what is fighting for sport in a cage to a level of unforeseen uh, or previously unimagined heights. And they didn't do it on just spectacle alone, although that has certainly helped. You know, it's just, it's just profoundly unfair to rob the UFC of the effort they have put in, in, in making this legitimate. It's just, it's just grotesquely unfair, and I will, have, I, I will not sign off on it. Or judges are more rounds, neither. Better judging criteria. Um, let's see. Will you be watching the first Polaris Jiu-Jitsu event? Yes. Uh, Abraham Marte is one of my favorite guys. Dominican guy, by the way. Uh, although he's not going to beat Keenan. Um Good question. Luke, what is your definition of octagon control? Which fighters fighting today utilize octagon control the best, in your opinion? Uh, I won't. It's a difficult, it's a long question. We're running out of time here. Uh, here's what I would say about um, Hendricks and Lawler as it relates to that. Because folks are asking, well, who has octagon control here? All right. So you have Johnny Hendricks, boom, reaches for a single, can't get it, drives Lawler into the fence. Now, when he gets to the fence, though, he can't really take him down. He's kneeing him in the thigh, but he's not really landing any kind of damaging punishment. The kind that you know alters what Robbie Lawler does. You know, Robbie Lawler's not having to switch stances later, or you know, he's not showing any kind of signs of distress. And Robbie Lawler, yeah, he's landing a couple of you know hammer fists and some nice shots to the ribs, but he's not getting Hendricks to move either. So who has octagon control here? The answer is neither. If you, if you ask me. You know, they say defense is its own reward, and that's true. But I guess what I would like to say about this issue is Hendricks is the one initiating the offense to me. And so I would lean towards him for a little bit. But ultimately, if you're just going to stall on a position and you can't get the guy down, and yeah, he can't get out, but 
you know, you, you have basically created a situation where nobody can land meaningful offense. It's your fault. I don't think you should be docked for it, but you're the, you're the reason this isn't going anywhere. You're not demonstrating anything about his ability. You're demonstrating one of the limits of the game. By, by, you're basically gaming the system, basically. That doesn't show, oh, well, I can take him out of his game. No, because you're taking yourself out of your game, too. You're just showing what the limits of the game look like under the rule set and the judging criteria. You're not showing your opponent is ineffectual against what you're doing. That, to me, is a key difference. Let me get a couple more here since we lost time. Um, if Zingano beats Rousey or Cormier beats Jones, or if both happens, would any of them be a situation bigger than it was for Weidman to beat Anderson? Uh, for Zingano to be Rousey, that would be pretty big. I don't think Cormier beating Jones would necessarily happen that because, one, Anderson Silva wasn't undefeated, but he was undefeated in the UFC. He was also champion. Now, of course, Jones is champion too, but and Jones has that one issue, that one blemish, but um, Jones is still is is still young, and there's an air about him, but you know, there's also a lot of baggage about him too. Rousey is sort of very much untouchable, was in these big movies, and, um, and Zingano is not... I think I think also that people think Cormier can beat Jones. There's a lot of people who may argue that Singano can give her a tough fight, but you know I don't think anyone's going to the, the, watch the odds be different. The odds are going to be much more in Rousey's favor relative to Cormier versus Jones. So um, I'm not saying that Cormier wouldn't change his life; that wouldn't be a big deal. It's not what I'm saying, but relative to that, Singano beating Rousey, you know, somebody undefeated in the UFC, undefeated in MMA, this Olympian, this this phenom, this force of nature. Uh, many things that Anderson Silva was too. Jones just never has quite. We always talk about it, like why hasn't Jones been a bigger star? Um, I don't know. He's been a big star, but not quite to the way he probably should have been. Anderson Silva's a big star. Ronda Rousey's a big star. Those are the two ones that are to be the bigger parallel. Um, let's do one more. Who does Anthony Pettis fight next? I don't know, but if it's number Gamedov, I wouldn't care. Uh, I'll do one more after this. All right, last one. Becoming a fan again. UFC 181 had everything. Prelims had an incredible KO and controversy in a fight involving Faber, thus garnering more attention. I don't know if that's a good thing, but okay. The continuing rise of a tough winner, making Gaslam have company and the tough alumni rise through the ranks currently. The return of Travis Brown. The return, excuse me, the true birth of Pettis' stardom. The Wheaties box, the performance, and his charisma on camera mean a potential new superstar. Another classic between two warriors with a comeback story that surpasses even Mark Hunt and a new champion. The first true crossover star being signed in the UFC since Brock Lesnar. Um, okay. With all this being said and the upcoming bouts along with the buzz surrounding Conor McGregor, am I the only one becoming a true fan again for the first time in years, or is this true of journalists too? Uh, I'm not a fan of any organization. I'm only a fan of the sport. Um, but I would say that... Um, the UFC sort of, I've talked about this on the beat, the UFC sort of believes that like things can be cyclical. So 2013 was a great year, 2014 was a bad year, 2015 should be a good year. Let's hope they're right, because there's a lot of promising things in the mix to um, to deal with. But never forget, you have two cards this weekend. I don't want to end on a sour note, but let me just say, there's two cards this weekend. You look at those cards, there's a lot of fights that should not be happening in the UFC. That said, I'll end on a positive note, because I love y'all. To your point, UFC 181 was great. It was a fantastic show. UFC deserves all the praise in the world, and and, uh, January is looking like a great month for mixed martial arts. All right. I apologize for the uh, camera uh, bottoming out. We'll see how that affects the audio. I'll make sure that no matter what, we will get a SoundCloud audio 
up it up there if you missed any of this or whatever it cut out. Um, follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Thank you very much for watching. We are going to have coverage of the open workouts today for Ultimate Fighter and UFC on Fox. We'll have everything. So tons of videos coming your way tonight. More photos coming your way tomorrow. Coverage of you, uh, the Ultimate Fighter finale on Friday. Coverage of UFC on Fox on Saturday, which starts at 3.30 East Coast time. And then, uh, and then that much and more. Email me at luke.thomas at espionation.com. Until next time, stay frosty.